All right, welcome to the A-Game Podcast. Today we have guest Alex Ottawell. He's one of my buddies. He's also known in the industry as the king of trailers, but you will get to see that he is a lot more than that. A very successful guy, under 30 years old, uh, doing big things, good guy, great episode. So first and foremost, if you guys want to find a way to get involved in real estate and learn more about real estate, go to nicknicknick.com. On that, you will see some resources, especially to get our free ebook, how the coronavirus has changed the real estate market and what every investor needs to know right now. It's a quick e-read. It gets you, uh, gets you that free if you go through that site. So jump on there. I'll give us your email. We'll send you a free ebook to give you a quick list of some do's and don'ts and some things to be aware of in this changing real estate market. But more importantly, we need to get you going and investing. So make this the year. Let's start figuring out how to get you involved, get you some properties under your belt, get you some cash working for you figure out what it is you need and how we can work together to get that to you, whether you're buying properties from me, selling properties to me, or finding a way to partner on existing properties, whether you're starting out new and you don't know nothing, or you got some experience, or you're already an accelerated advanced experience investor, and you want to find a way to team up and, uh, and do more volume or take on some more deals. Uh, things are happening right now. It's a good time to get involved. So reach out to me at nicknicknick.com slash links. You will see all the social media links on there to message me directly on Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, or shoot me an email directly through that website. But let's get you involved in some real estate. Let's make it the time right now. So you should be listening to this episode for many reasons, especially if you're not just a real estate investor or you're not interested in mobile homes. Um, to not listen to somebody who's created millions of dollars at such a young age is a miss because he can drop a lot of knowledge on you for different things in life that you can learn from his experience of over 10 years in real estate life lessons coming from where he did. So we discussed a bunch of different things. Obviously, we discussed his business plans. He uh, he owns a cold calling company, and he also uh, owns a uh, real estate investment firm where they do specialize in creative financing, mobile homes. Um, again, the king of trailers was, was kind of his MO, but you will see he does all kinds of different real estate, finds all these different ways to make money. We discussed him coming in as an immigrant from another country. Um, he came in from England. We discuss uh, his family and his support system, his dad being an entrepreneur, um, his girlfriend now and how important it is to have support at home, have people who believe in you. And uh, we talk a lot about social media and the the almost, uh, I don't want to say fake, but the, the front that you have to put up on a lot of these guys, not that you have to, but a lot of guys do. Um, and a lot of the people that are starting out, they just see the influencers that are posting Lamborghinis and the hot girlfriends, so to speak, which is what Alex has, but... I like that he backtracks and goes, yeah, you get to see those pictures because that's what gets the clicks. But what you don't see is the boring stuff and the boring stuff and all the hard work and all the sacrifice is really what got me the to the place in life that I was able to afford and feel mentally and physically and in a place financially to buy those things, to have those things, and to post those things. So it is part of the game. But uh, I mean, I think anybody who watches these guys that just talk about how they have these stress-free lives and they have these cars and these girls and this lifestyle and they're barely working, you need to be listening to this podcast and really see that all that stuff is, is nice, but you have to work your butt off to get there. And Alex, somebody definitely did. So he talks about the ups, he talks about the downs. How we talk about cold calling. We talk about helping people and how important it is along the way to do things for other people in need. And he talks about some of the really cool things that he's done with his money and with his time to give back to families when they can really use it. Uh, we talk about KPIs, things to track. We talk about... Um, definitely taking risks and uh, you'll learn a little bit about his thought process behind that, which I think is really cool. So for some of you, if you're entrepreneurial or you're looking to become entrepreneurial or get into real estate and you've been a little bit scared about the risks involved, this is a good thing to listen to, to hear a little bit about that. Um, for some of you who have been burnt out a little bit, we do discuss some different things on how he stays fired up, how he finds his fulfillment, 
how he finds his motivation. And more importantly, for business owners, he talks about when it's time to just accept the loss and take it on the chin. Maybe you lose some money, but you actually gain a lot of life experience on that. And the money you make from that maybe temporary loss is really worth it in the long run because you watch the different doors that it's opened up and the lessons it teach you later on down the road as you jump into other business ventures and other partnerships and all kinds of different things. So again, we talk about his um, his business. We talk about his family. We talk about pivoting his business, what he was doing in real estate then versus what's working now, um, why you would invest in mobile homes, why people would buy mobile homes, why he's still doing flips, how, what kind of returns he gets. So we dig deep into a lot of different things um, financially, business-wise, entrepreneurial-wise, um, all kinds of different stuff here. So take a look, uh, jump into this episode. Please re leave a review. It really helps. Go on Google, type in the A-Game podcast. I'll scroll to the bottom on iTunes and then click write a review, give it five stars and just write a little sentence in there. Really, really goes a long way. I appreciate it. If you're looking to get booked on my podcast, you would like to book me to be a guest in your podcast, please go to uh, email, email me at podcast at nicknicknick.com. We have some great guests coming up. And I want to thank Mark Henneman. If you guys have not had a chance to listen to the Wild West Real Estate Podcast, um, I was a guest on it last week. It was a little nervous. You know, I've been a big family, of, a big fan of Family Guy. And, uh, you know, I had some technical difficulties with my audio along the way, but uh, he did a great job and put together a great episode. So I appreciate that. And that podcast has so much content on it. So definitely give that a, sh uh, a check. Look it up. Um, you can see he was on ours as well. And obviously, Family Guy, you can find anywhere. Um, Fox everywhere around. So honored a pleasure to be on there, but I am looking to get on more podcasts and uh, start to put myself out there a little bit more and get some new guests in that you guys can learn that are uh, inspirational and amazing entrepreneurs and people. So with that, welcome Alex Ottawa to the A-Game Podcast. Have a great day. <laughs> Welcome to the A-Game Podcast with Nick LaMagna, digging into the minds and experiences of some of today's brightest entrepreneurs in real estate and business, along with Hollywood stars, UFC fighters, and your favorite rock bands. People that have figured out how to overcome obstacles, take chances, live boldly, and no matter what they do, they always bring their A-Game. My guest today on the A-Game Podcast is my buddy, Alex Ottawell. He is the owner and founder of Matter Green Investments, a real estate fix and flipping company. He is also the founder of NGI Phone Services, a cold calling company, and he is taking over the Florida real estate market on trailers. Um, we're going to give a big backstory here, but thank you for being on today, Mr. Alex Ottawell. Please give them a quick uh, backstory on yourself. Hey, thanks, Nick, for having me on. Um, yeah, so my name is Alex Ottawell. I uh, was born in England, uh, moved to the U.S. Uh, in 2000. I was nine years old. Um, you know, I kind of uh, probably started getting into real estate around 18, 19, about 10 years ago now, as I'm 29. Um, I got in initially as a auction buyer because my dad had just gone through kind of a poor period where he had lost everything throughout the crash, like most. And uh, he said to me, he's like, hey, Alex, um, you know, I was doing boat mechanics at the time. And he's like, hey, Alex, you wanna come help me fix up some houses? I said, okay, sounds great. So I, uh, I worked for him for 10 bucks an hour for like a year as we battled it out, you know, as uh, family members do. So we did about a year together where I would go fix some properties that he would pick up at a, you know, tax deed sale or whatever auction we were working on. Um, did about a year of that, realized, hey, I want to make more than $10 an hour. So I launched my own business and 
Um, I still stayed with auctions. You know, we focused on that. We did low end properties, low end asset classes, expanded to multiple counties. You know, I think we were doing 12 at the time. And, uh, you know, kind of built a team. I uh, got into more fix and flip. Never really was a wholesale guy starting off. You know, I've done some wholesaling now, but initially we strictly fix and flip. Um, I did a lot of seller financing too, which was pretty popular because the uh, you know, lack of cash in the market, people were wanting to get, uh, you know, easy financing. So I provided it. Um, years went by, probably 2018, 2019 area. Um, I realized the auctions are drying up. So I went into the seller direct model, uh, built a small call center um, as far as cold callers in the Philippines. This wasn't when I had the business, but uh, I realized I was really successful at it. So that's kind of where the call center came into play and that's why we launched for other clients. Um, as far as my fix and flip company, you know, I specialize in mobile homes with land uh, just because I know the asset class really well, you know, starting off in the low end market prior I used to buy auctions, uh, properties auction for five to 10 grand. Typically they're a mobile home. So I got comfortable in that asset class. And don't get me wrong, I've done you know, high-end flips and things like that, but um, I tend to have a nice little niche there. So I focus on that. Currently, you know, we're fixing and flipping in about 11 counties surrounding Tampa. It's about a hundred mile radius. Um, I do specialize in mobiles, but I do quite a bit of single family now um, with my lead generation because we're, we uh, personally, outside of the phone services, uh, you know, we're calling over a million people a month, sometimes a million and a half. Um, we're getting a lot of leads, you know, in the thousands per month and we pick up a lot of things. So a lot of fix and flip. Um, to make a long story short, uh, last year, I realized like, hey, I've kind of perfected the model of uh, phone services as far as getting people interested in selling you know, the correct scripts, processes, and things like that. So I merged with an existing company called Phone Beasts, and I started my USA brand. Um, we kind of work together now, and uh, we're building a pretty fantastic product, offering not only cold callers now, uh, we have training for acquisitions virtually, and also VAs, just general VAs. That's outstanding, man. You have so many different uh, different bases that we can cover and different tops we can go on. Yeah. You know, obviously, um, one of the things I want to touch on is is branding because I know um, you and I are in a mastermind together and I'm, I'm very impressed with the questions that you come up with from a business point of view for such a young age, you know, respectively, because there's other guys in the group that are, you know, 50s and above. You have very great questions. It seems like you have a lot of really great business experience. Where did that start to, to come from? Did you learn that from, from your dad or did you learn that just from trial and error jumping at such a young age? So, I mean, obviously, you know, being around my dad for the first year, you know, we were kind of, I mean, we, we actually talk about this. We look back and you know, when we were working together, um, we had no processes, no systems or nothing. I mean, it was literally like, hey, let's go to the auction, buy something and figure out what we're going to do with it. Um, so there was no real direct uh, setup there. It was just kind of a, hey, we need money. Let's get it going. Um, and, you know, I was making 10 bucks an hour. So I wanted to do as many hours as possible at the time. Um yeah, it wasn't, it, I, I think, you know, my dad always has input in my business, but I think at this point, you know, with the way I have my business structured, uh, especially in the last couple of years with Seller Direct, you know, he's not really in that model. He's a, he's a landlord more now. He does do fix and flip, but uh, nowhere near. But I would say, um, I, I would say I'm a really good absorber of information. So whenever I find a, a specific 
thing I want to learn. I'm one of those guys that just hops on a computer and I'll sit there for five, six hours, just absorbing as much content as possible and then be able to repurpose that into, you know, whatever I'm trying to work on. Um, I mean, he, he definitely has been a massive, you know, influence as far as, um, at least guiding me towards real estate. But I think these days, you know, I don't think it's, it's a directive from him um, because I'm in a whole different type of business. Um, you know, we still collaborate. I mean, I still sell him properties. Uh, I sent him to a terrible, you know, tear down the other day uh, for, uh, for a good laugh. But, um, you know, I still send him stuff uh, and we talk about real estate all the time. So. I think that's really cool. That's a big piece that I, I think most people, when they come in, they have the opposite impression that, when they're getting into real estate, their friends and family are big on like, no, don't do it. And it's the opposite. And they're trying to convince them. Well, he, he tells me on a daily basis not to do stuff. Really? Get out of here. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh yeah. My dad's a very, so I, you know, I, I love my dad to death, um, but he is a very opinionated person. And uh, if he doesn't like my strategy, he'll uh, remind me I'm going to crash and burn. So I've had a lot of tough love. It's not been a nice, easy, you know, I never took any money as far as like investment or anything like that. You know, a lot of people think they have that assumption that, you know, okay, you started with your father, you started with your father. Well, yeah, no, he, he's a, he's a hard dad. He's a, he's a <laughs> not an easy road, but you know, it, it, it's tough love that, you know, kind of got me to where I'm at. So I'm kind of happy with that. So you, your work ethic, I've also seen you, you know, post many times, like, dude, you know, we were texting back and forth. You're like, I've been on calls for like 16 hours straight staring at Zooms and I didn't get any sleep last night. So you're a grinder, you're a hustler. Does that come over with somebody coming from a different country? Because that seems to be a common theme as well. It's like people that migrate here, the Chris Kellys of the world, they yeah. seem to just have a, a different pace, a different work ethic than some of the people that maybe were born here. Not all of them, obviously, I'm making a generalization, but I do also I usually see that there's just a little bit of that extra step, that extra, you know, that extra. Yeah, I mean, I think, um, you know, like when I got out of high school, my dad told me, he said, hey, either get a, get a, uh, get a scholarship or get a job. So I think, uh, kind of relates back to tough love. I think in this culture, especially these days, people are weak on people. I mean, I much rather have criticism than positive feedback because at the end of the day, the criticism adjusts your life. Whereas the positive feedback just pat you on the back. I don't want the pat on the back. Like all the time, I always try to open myself up to criticism. Um, when I'm doing something, because that's how you perfect the model. You know, if something's wrong with it, you fix it. If the general public believes that, then fix it. So. I love that, man. I think that's awesome. So steering into some of the asset classes, I know you're doing a little bit of everything, but your, your niche has become uh, the trailer. Yeah, trailers with land. With land. I, a lot of people get confused because they hear trailers, they think of parks. Um, the real ones I go after are the ones with uh, land, one acre, two acres, things like that. Because it adds, for some reason, Whenever you take, you can take a piece of land for 50,000 and a trailer that you could pick up at a park for 10 and you pair them together. So you're in for a 60, but all of a sudden now it has some intrinsic value. So it's worth 130, you know, it's just, I, I don't necessarily do that exact thing. I try and buy existing ones just because of the headache and the logistics of moving them. But um, for some reason, when it, when it has that value attached to the land, it really, really skyrockets, especially when you get them to a, quality standard that it they would expect in a single family home you're doing some creative stuff there that you know i, I hear a lot when we're, out, we're on some of those mastermind calls there'll be a general statement on like hey guys you shouldn't do this unless you're alex because he's doing great with this part like so <laughs> you know, 
kind of uh, kind of narrowed out. But it, it is different. You know, we were supposed to close yesterday on a 10-unit mobile home park. And some of the things that I learned along the way, like when they were doing the appraisals and they were like, you know, you're paying for the land. Like the trailers on there aren't even really like you have to actually put in the contract, but that's part of the deal. It's the opposite of if you would have bought a house and the house, you know, so it is a little bit. Yeah. There's a, there's a few things that people, I actually had this situation three days ago because I had a wholesaler reach out to me. He said, Hey, uh, I've never met you, but I heard you're the guy for trailers. I got this property. I don't know what to do with it. And uh, I actually had him revise his contract because um, the way mobile home works is when it gets put onto a piece of land, for instance, not necessarily a trailer park, once it's put on there, it still has titles. So um, a trailer, a single wide will have a single title, like a car title. And then a double wide will have two titles because they have two VIN numbers as being two parts. So what happens is that trailer has a registration sticker, almost like your car, RV, things like that. Um, after after you've purchased the property, it's typically recommended to retire the title because you want to make that real property. Um, by retiring the titles, you know, the mobile home is considered a permanent uh, part of the property. So a lot of people do transactions where they'll purchase a piece of land, not realizing that the mobile home has debt on it through the titles. And then they'll run into an issue because they just bought this trailer with land, but really they just bought the land and the mobile home has debt on it. Um, I had this happen one time where I bought at a tax deed and I pull up and the trail, it was a, an acre property. It was actually in Riverview. This is when I was doing more Hillsborough County. Had a double wide on it or triple wide, I think. I go to the property, I talk to them. They said they want to move out, everything's fine. Give me a week. I said, okay, no problem. Well, I come back a week later and all of a sudden I see this mobile home going down the street. And I said to myself, I was like, that looked kind of like my mobile home. So I pull into my property and it was just dirt. And I found out that the people had been paying on the trailer with a uh, buy here, pay here type situation. And the, the company found out that the, the tax deed was going on. So before I could hop in and, and try and uh, grab those trailers, uh, they, they hold it off. So I was left with just a piece of land. So it was kind of a wake up call to, to be a bit careful, especially with auctions, because you don't know, you know, who's going to come claim what. Um, but yeah, it was an interesting situation watching your trailer roll down the road. And I actually followed him. I spun back around and uh, I think I had my F-Type R uh, Jaguar at the time. So I was, you know, 600 or 550 horsepower. I was flying down the road. I caught up with them. I pulled into the park and uh, they were like, yeah, this is ours. Here's the titles. Call the cops if you want to. So interesting situation. Man. So I, I know a lot of the, the stigma on trailers is that you're dealing with obviously lower class product, lower class people, but you know, I, I hear way more horror stories from people in single family and, and you know, no matter yeah. what, all the people, but. No, I mean, it's a bad stigma to be honest with you because at the end of the day, I mean, a mobile home, it can look exact. I mean, especially the ones we do, they look fantastic. I mean, they look probably better than most single family on the market. So, um, you know, it's just a stigma. Um, a lot of people get hung up on, you know, as far as purchasing. Yeah. I mean, I deal with a lot of rough people because of the price points, but when we dispo, you know, we sell it after rehab, it's typically a quality family that's moving into it. It's not like a, you know, crackhead meth heads, you know, those are the guys I'm kicking out. The ones that are moving in are the, the quality family trying to you know, start a life. Um, <clears throat> I think a lot of people don't realize too, they're like, well, why would somebody buy, you know, a double wide on an acre 
versus buying a house on an acre, same square footage, whatever. And the fact is, you know, mobile homes right now have fit a, a price point. So every, everybody in Hillsborough is like, okay, I want a house for 250 grand, 250 grand, 250 grand. Hillsborough's Tampa, by the way. Um, they want a house for 250 grand. Well, if they don't qualify for 250 grand, which is kind of like the minimum in Tampa to get anything reasonable, um, they have to drop, they either have a choice. They can drop down to a lower quality neighborhood for, um, you know, or lower class as far as like price points, they can drop down and get like kind of a rougher neighborhood with a single family. Or their second option is the mobile homes with land kind of fit in between that same kind of lower price range, but maybe in a better neighborhood with a higher quality remodel. So that's where it kind of falls in. It's the people that can't afford that single family starter home and, but they still want to have their own property and not rent. That's where the mobile home kind of class fits in. It works out really well. Now, don't get me wrong. There's so I've sold mobile homes with like a couple of acres for 250, 300 grand. It's nuts. But um, it just depends on the area. Like most things, you know, location, location, location. Um, but it fits that little niche that maybe people don't qualify for this, but they can get this and they buy my asset instead. That's typically where it falls in. Hey, what you're saying makes total sense because, you know, I'll get people that send me stuff all the time and they're like, Hey man, you want to buy this property for two dollars in Detroit? And I'm like, no, no, no. And they're like, oh, you don't want mobile homes though; those are in bad areas. I'm like, your two dollar property is probably not in a great area either. But people yeah. are to buy a house because it's cheap, but they look at a mobile home, which could be a much better asset in a much, much yeah. more area with better school districts and stuff. But again, it's it's that crazy stigma, and you know, it, it is interesting, like you said, because I just did the um, I did the walkthrough on that ten unit, and out of all the multi units I've done. Those were probably the best. If you just showed the inside and didn't show that it was a mobile home, people would be like, this is a really nice place. Like all of them yeah. were well kept. They've been there for years. I was blown away at the, the pride of ownership of every single one of those units. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I, I agree with that. And also I think, so mobile homes technically are a depreciating asset for like the first 10 years of their life. So if you go out and buy a brand new trailer for like, let's say, I don't know, hundred grand, 80 grand, whatever you can get them for, you put it on your property, it's going to depreciate over the next 10 years because it's kind of like a car. But there's also just like a car, like in the used market of a car, everything has kind of a floor, right? So the car may drop 20 grand, but then it's going to hover. You really can't get anything less than five or 10 on that you know, cheap car. Um, same thing with mobile homes. So I try not to buy anything newer in 2010 just because it has that kind of floor after that point where you're not dropping in value. Because sure, you're going to get appreciation from the land, especially in this hot market. But I don't really want to be fighting something that's going downwards. So I, I typically just flip um, 2000, 2010. Smart, man. So before we jump into some of these other topics, I, I always think, you know, the, the way to put the icing on this is for anybody that's got that stigma for, oh, you know, I don't know about mobile homes. Talk about some of the numbers on there, because I know sometimes on those masterminds, you go over just, hey, here's, here's a basic deal and here's how I structure right. But I love how you structure it with the seller financing and the money down because you have a little bit of a safety blanket in there that if they decide to default, you're still protected because you're already into it for a certain amount. And obviously yeah. you're getting on. So give a synopsis of, of how you put one of these deals together with some general numbers. So um, I was doing a lot more seller financing stuff recently. I've kind of just because the market's so hot, it's very difficult to say, hey, I'm going to tie up half my capital in this for a year and a half, two years, 
when I know I can flip it. Like, I mean, I just put one up um, a couple of days ago and I sold, like it was under contract in like two days. Like, well, why, why finance it? I mean, yeah, you get the multiple with compounding interest, but um, I'm trying to do like one, one seller finance for every, for every six or seven fix and flips right now. But for instance, I'll give you an example on a fix and flip. You know, we, we spoke to this owner, um, like I said, it's all seller directs. So my, I'll go through my process later, but my acquisition sent me the lead, said, Hey, you know, we're, we're locked in at this price. I think we picked up like 40, 40 grand. Um, and bought it for 40, complete trashed, you know, horrible, nasty inside, bad layout too. Surprising because the age of the trailer was, was reasonably newer. Um, bad layout. So I think it was sitting on two and a half acres and we go in there, you know, we renovate it like a regular home. Um, I think I spent, cause I had to do the roof, a new AC and, uh, some other things, uh, that normally we wouldn't, like we do, we do roof and AC, but we try not to, but this one needed kind of everything. So we've did a full rehab. I think we're at 40, 45 on it. Um, so I'm into it for 85, let's say. Well, I kind of assumed the ARV, you know, was in the 145, 155 range, but I noticed the market's going really trending right now. So I said, hey, you know what? I'll test my luck for a few days and I'll drop the price if need be. So I put it for 165, um, which is crazy because, you know, I'm into it for 85 and I put it up for 165. Well, I got three offers within 72 hours and one was over list at 170. And then we're pending to close um, in, I don't know, three weeks. So, I mean, fast stuff, right? I mean, and, and a lot of people get hung up on the idea like you can't get financing. Well, these people are FHA. We, we, we sell dozens of them, um, or more than that, but dozens a month on, uh, on FHA. I mean, FHA will qualify them. As long as they meet the requirements, there's a couple things like um, the, uh, the hurricane straps underneath that can be retrofit if they didn't have them. Um, skirting is a big thing. There's stuff like that that they ask for, but once you got the formula down, I mean, it's, it's, it's a straight FHA property and everybody likes selling FHA because your buyers are uh, hungry. So, um, but yeah, so I got that one for, up for 80, uh, into it for 85, selling it for 170. I don't know, I think I'll make like 60, 70 grand on it after all my costs. So, and, you know, and we're doing, you know, we're, we're still buying eight to 10 a month, um, sometimes more. So, um, like I, we had a record month last month, but, um, you know, it's great. Now on the, on the seller finance side, if I get a, if I get a property pretty cheap, like let's say I get it for, um, you know, it's a really cheap deal and it may be trashed out because the difference is with selling something retail, you know, people are picky, right? They want to make sure everything's perfect, everything's clean. Whereas on the seller finance side, people are more interested in stopping their, you know, rental history. They don't want to keep renting. Um, they want to own something. So they're more excited about the idea of buying a place, putting some effort in, cleaning it up, and then living in it. Or even, you know, have something that's kind of turnkey, but not really like nice turnkey. So if I find a property, like I buy something for like 20 grand, let's say 30 grand on like an acre, but it's just a trashed out double wide or something. I'll bring it to the point where they could live in it. Um, maybe put like 20, 25 grand into it. So if I'm into it for like 45, and this is interesting because 
I've done the same, like the pricing is almost the same on all the ones I do. I don't know if that's deliberate or not, but like I, I thought about the other day, I'm buying a lot for like 20, 25 that I'll put 20 into or roughly. So I'm into them for like 45. Well, I'll sell or finance that at 120,000 because that's what the property's worth if, you know, it was in clean, you know, nice condition. Um, so I had a little bit of a uh, premium onto it per se, but I typically get, like, let's say on that deal, I'll get like 20 grand down. I actually posted um, the one I just did this, yeah, this week in the group. I think I was into it for like 45 and um, sold it for 120. And then after it, you know, you, you compound the interest. It's a 25 year loan. You know, I'm going to get a quarter million dollars for it. So, um, you know, I got 45 total in. They give me, they gave me 20 down. So I got 25 grand left in the deal but my upside is a quarter million dollars. So it's a 10 X. So right there, man. I love yeah. that. Awesome. So talk about your processes a little bit. So I know obviously you're, you're doing something oh. now. So um, explain a little bit about what you do. And then I definitely want to tie in MGI phone services to that as well. And yeah. Well, they kind of link hand in hand. So I found like, I've done a lot of businesses, right? I, I even throughout my real estate career. So I've been in real estate like 10 years, almost 11, and um, done a lot of businesses. And I found that, like I tried to open, I wanted a service business. I came back from Japan. I was sitting on a plane for 16 hours. I just went to a karaoke bar right before I got on the plane. And I said, hey, I wanna open a service business. This is tracking back to 2016. Um, I said, I'm gonna open a service business. I was like, let's open a bar. Well, I kind of looked at the pricing. Like it's gonna cost me about 250, 300,000 to open a bar, like for what I would wanna do. So instead I'd been going to hookah lounges too in like Japan, different countries. So I said, you know what? I'm gonna open a hookah lounge. That sounds like a great idea. Um, uh, yeah, you, you'll hear the sarcasm throughout this call. Um, so I, I was like, okay, I'm gonna put 50 grand in and we get a space. I, I leased, I literally leased a space, like, I don't know, maybe 24 hours after I had the idea. Cause I'm that gun ho guy. I know Lee, you know, our friend Lee Carney, um, he speaks about like, I'm impulsive. Like if I, if I get an idea, I implement that's, that is my success is the fact that I drive in hard and deep and get it done. So timeline on this, I know I'm getting off track a bit. Um, 2016 I said, Hey, end of the year. I said, Hey, I'm an open oak lounge signed a lease like 24, 40 hours later. And then I set a goal because this is the kind of pressure I like to put myself under. I posted publicly that we were open in six weeks. I hadn't even, I hadn't even picked a name. I just threw out like, we're opening six weeks. So I put the date down. Well then uh, my grandfather, um, I mean, I'm not cheerful about this, but um, my grandfather fell ill. And so I had to go back to England because that's where I'm from and flew back, spent three weeks over there with him before he passed away uh, in the hospital, which I was very fortunate for. Cause you know, some people, you know, they lose somebody in their life and they never really get that closure out of it. So very important to me that I got to spend that time with him. But the whole time I was there, my lounge was under construction. So I had my own rehab crews, you know, in my fix and flip company. So I had one of them over there. So I was doing Zoom calls in the hospital in England or, or even, even at the, my grandfather's house while I was trying to coordinate everything. I flew back and we opened two weeks later. Now, um, I realized hookah wasn't profitable enough. So I added in a bar aspect. We became like a nightclub. And then after many hours of working a 
day business, my real estate company, which was suffering at the time because I, I diversified. There's a point behind all this. So I diversified into two different industries. I had a night business and a day business. And I was trying to run both hats. So real estate business dropped. It started dropping off, I noticed. So I went on a fire sale and just got rid of the place. I lost about a hundred grand on it, but because I had built the bar and all this stuff. Um, but what I learned is from that, which I look as education, you know, people, people say to me all the time, what happens if I fail the business? Well, then you try again. Like what's, you know, the whole thing is if you go to college, like I, I'm a college dropout. I dropped out first semester. I went, you know, I did some boat mechanics school, like a tech program. And then I went to a regular college. I dropped out first semester. I was like, I'm out. Um, but people go to college and they spend good money to get an education, right? But the fact is, if you try something and you go through an experience, like like opening a service business. I knew nothing about it. I had to make systems, processes, lay it all out. I didn't know how to do it. I, I researched, I figured it out. But going through that experience, yeah, I lost a hundred grand, but I got way more than a hundred grand worth of education and something you couldn't learn in college. You know, I learned how to deal with different teams, hiring and firing, like on different scales. Cause you know, we, we had a crazy turnover. I mean, you know, I probably had 12 managers in that place in three years, which is nuts. But I learned a lot about service. I learned a lot about point of sale stuff and really how to optimize inventory and things like that. And, you know, I, I look at that as an education. I got some great connections out of it. Yeah, I lost hundred grand, but that's not a failure to me because I chose to exit at that point. I could have kept it going. I could have built it up, but I just, I wanted out. Like actually Lee was the motivator. He said, Alex, he said, uh, what do you, what, what do you foresee making in real estate? What do you foresee making this? And I was like, nothing. And then X. And he said, well, that business is costing you this per day. So get rid of it now, but get rid of it now. So I sold for 35 grand. I was like, boom. And I was into it. I don't know, 100 and, 135, 140. So, um, but I just got rid of it literally next day. Some guy said, Hey, you want it? I said, done. Um, but my point is don't, deviate too much in my opinion. Now, a lot, a lot of people, I know some people with fantastic collections of businesses that are in whole different realms. But for me, I find that all of my businesses, cause I have a couple other little ones too, they all tie into real estate. They all tie into a focal point because they, they kind of feed each other. They're, they're helpful to each other and they all are associated in the same kind of market, same kind of networking. And I find that I'm really able to dive in deeper because it's the subject matter I deal with versus the service business was like totally opposite, nothing to do with each other. And I found it was much more difficult to really grow that. So sorry about the long, I, I kind of went, I kind of go off track You know, I have a focus, I'm not a focus issue, but I have a, a subject matter issue. And I, I, I go through these long rants of uh, everything I'm talking about and then it ties back into the point. So. That's how I think too. So I actually follow that better than like okay. going down one track. I'm better at like you scatter it yeah. together. So I was with you the whole time. I got you. Awesome. And I, I love that because again, you know, going back to how people learn, there's the people that just want the details and the people that need to tie that in. And I think you did a good job of that because it's a common theme across entrepreneurs of usually when they're losing money or their business is suffering, it's because they're not doing things that are on the same playing field or they're not tying in or they're losing focus. Yeah. So, you know, I, I think it's a, it's a big deal because what you said there that I think was a huge value is you said, hey, I could have kept it. I could have built it up. I could have made it a break even or profitable. I just yeah. didn't want it anymore because it was taking up too much of my time and energy. Yeah. So I 
taught it and it wasn't a loss. It was a learning lesson because look how much more I was able to make when I freed up that time. And I think that's where a lot of people that start out with the dream of being a business owner or an entrepreneur or a real estate investor, they take a couple of hits and they go, I failed, that's it. And then they go back to their nine to five versus what you did or what most of us do, which is you get back up, you glove up again and you, you live to fight another day. I really feel like that's the difference between somebody who fails and somebody who succeeds long-term. Yeah, I think so too. I mean, people are afraid of, for some reason, and this is just something, maybe it's like you said, the, the uh, overseas guy, but, but like me being from England, but people are so afraid to fail these days. And I don't understand it because even now I still fail. Like even in my regular business, you know, we're doing millions of dollars a year and everything's fantastic, making a ton of money. I still mess up all the time. Like I'm not, I'm not perfect. Like my, my girlfriend seems to think so. She, she actually did, um, we were doing some marketing for my phone services and there was a uh, line that she put together, like, you know, nobody can do everything. And she put in quotations except for Alex. But, you know, I don't think, I think everybody needs to fail because I actually think it motivates me more. So if I'm in a stressful situation and I have to really hustle because to get out of that situation, that's the mentality I have. But I think a lot of people get caught up in just the idea of failure being permanent. Um, I don't see that. Like, it's just not my mentality. I'm a problem solver. I'm the guy that believes that no matter what problem you have, there is a solution. Like there always is a solution. It may not be the best route for you, but it's still a solution. So that's been my mentality. And I would say that really switched probably about four years ago. Like it's not, not been the whole life cycle of my career. You know, keep in mind, I got in it like 19, I'm 29 now. You know, I think maturity comes into a factor. I used to blow every dollar I make. And uh, now I reinvest a heck of a lot more. Um, I would say the first couple of years I blew every dollar. I mean, after that, I kind of reinvested half of my income, but yeah. I mean, we all go through these struggles, you know, everybody sees the picture you are today, you know, especially even like cars and stuff. Like I got a Lambo, whoa, I got a Lambo. But that car didn't make me. I bought the car because it could. But I also drove a 92 F-150 with 22 inch rims on it. Um, you know, when I, when I started out, like I didn't always have these nice things. I didn't always have the ability and the mentality to afford those things or even keep those things. That took time. It's 10 years. I mean, a long time. People, people think about 10 years, they're like, oh, you've been in real estate 10 years. It's, you know, that, it's probably always been great. No, it hasn't. It's been miserable. I've been shot at, I've been friggin', you know, people pull guns on us all the time uh, when I was doing the auctions. I've had death threats of people, um, you know, threatening me with needles and a heroin addict chase me with a needle. Yeah, like crazy stuff. So, you know, it's not always cake and roses. And even now, like I, I posted this just, I think it was, yeah, yesterday. Everybody assumes because social media is like, hey, this is my life, here's my Instagram. That's my prettiness, right? I'm on yachts and mansions and all this fun stuff, but they don't see the grind in between. And typically you'll see my stories. Like I post quite a bit and I've been told off by my Instagram manager now. So I'm keeping yeah. under five posts a day on my story, but uh, I post a lot and I post the fun stuff because nobody wants to sit there. And, oh, here's me building Excel sheets. Here's me you know, doing this or Google sheets or whatever. 
I mean, they don't want to see that stuff. They don't. Everybody wants to see the fun stuff in life. And I think the mentality behind that is the same mentality why they won't succeed in business unless they switch it. You have to, you have to realize there's good and bad. I do a lot of tasks I hate. I can't stand. And, you know, Lee will tell me to outsource them, but I prefer to be hands-on on certain aspects. And I still do them because you have to. You got to take the good and the bad. Don't worry about having everything cakes and roses. You know, you, you see a lot of these guys on Instagram and stuff and they're like kicking back all the time on the beach. I genuinely just don't believe they're this low stressed. Like I just, I understand you can put a lot of people in place and systems and processes and maybe on certain scales you can do it. But some of the guys I see, I'm just like, I don't believe your life is this cake and roses because mine isn't. And I make a ton of money, uh, you know, very wealthy guy, but it's, it's not as easy as they think. And I, I don't think that they, they're given the same perception that I am. You know, you go on mine, you know, oh, wow, Lambo and mansions and you know, all the fun stuff. No, no, that's not my true, true life. I hustle hard. I work a lot, you know, like I've done 18 hour days this week. Like I, I just announced I was doing Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, I did like 54 hours. Like most people are like, oh, I'm working really hard. Oh, 40 hours a week. Oh my gosh. Well, you know what, if you, if you want to make a lot of money, you got to put in the work and one point you might get out of that hourly, but you know, the four hour work week, that's fantastic. But when you're scaling and you're growing a new company and really building it, you got to be hands on. Sure. You might hit that, that point where you can just cut it back. But if you, if you're ever building a business, there's no like sit back and wait. And a lot of people outsource new businesses that drives me nuts. Like if you are starting a new business, you should be involved in everything. Do not outsource your whole business. Oh, I'm just outsourcing this, I'm outsourcing this. Okay, great, so you just created a bunch of salaries with no income. That sounds like a fantastic idea. Like, okay, I've got all these people working for me, but we have no income coming in yet. No, you gotta get out of that, that doesn't make sense. Put the hours in, grind, sweat equity, build that company up, then outsource a couple of things. You gotta learn every seat. I've done every single seat in my business, every business. Every business I have, every single seat I've done. You have to. I mean, I, I hop on calls. Like I got an acquisition guy that kills it. Like he's amazing. I still hop on his calls. If he says, hey Alex, can you close this deal? Sure, boom, right back in it, close the deal. And I got a million things to do, but I'll still do it. Cause you have to, you just have to. Ever wanted to play the drums? Or do you want to get your kids some drum lessons to burn some of that energy while they are all locked up? Take advantage of a free drum lesson with one of the tri-state area's most respected drummers, Dan LaMagna. Dan LaMagna has played in such bands as Crown of Thorns, Suicide City, Biohazard, The Real McKenzie's, Sworn Enemy, The Walls of Jericho. He has played all over the world and he has also endorsed by such companies as DW, Vader, and Sabian. Dan has taught tons of people from all different age groups and all different music styles. He can teach adults, kids, advanced beginner, any types of styles from metal, all different types of percussion, whatever style you want. Get a free drum lesson today from Dan. All you need to do is text the word drummer, D-R-U-M-M-E-R, to 833-632-0585. Again, text the word drummer, D-R-U-M-M-E-R, to the number 833-632-0585 for your free online drum lesson. I agree with you. And that is something I want to touch on with social media because I think that there's a double-edged sword there. I think it's awesome 
that average people can be inspired to do great things by seeing other people, uh, you know, have all these great successful achievements on social media, own all these nice cars, do all these things. But I think a lot of them, exactly like you said, go, well, if I buy this course or I read this book or I, you know, I follow yeah. this guy, I could be sitting there with a the Lamborghini and a hot girlfriend on the beach in 90 days. And it's like, no, no, no. Like that takes five, 10, 15 years. That takes mistakes, yeah. sleepless nights. It takes all these hours, but people don't want to do that. They just want the, the, you know, they just want, they just want to see the highlights, like you said, on social media, but you're also funny because, you know, the, the running joke is kind of like, Hey, if you want to be successful, you have to be on Instagram with a hot girlfriend and a Lamborghini. But most oh. of the guys you see later on is like, they rented it for the day. They're yeah. like standing by another, like you zoom out and they're actually in a parking lot by somebody else's. But I can attest that you actually own yours. <laughs> I've seen it. It's, it's yours, but you know, like, yeah. you, I think when, when people know you, there, there's, um, there's, there's not a jealousy there because people see when they actually hear your business and they hear all the stuff you're doing that you freaking earned those things and you work for those things. And that's the part of that you're willing to do that I think a lot of people aren't, like putting the 18 hours in and figuring out how to buy businesses that are going to complement each other. And uh, I think it's awesome, man. And I think what you're doing is great. And I, I love exactly what you just said. I think that that is something everybody needs to, to roll back and listen to again because I think that's important. Yeah. Yeah, it's a grind. I mean, and I think there's so many... Yeah, it's funny actually. I had, a, I had a new guy come on. Um, I'm giving him a bit of coaching. I actually went to high school with a guy and he came to one of my meetings. Um, and he's, he wants to get involved in real estate, really smart guy. Like he, he works for a steel company that his dad founded and he's, he's built like a, a really good understanding of things and he wants to get in real estate. So he called me up and he was asking me about stuff and uh, he's getting my phone services and whatnot. But, um, he said to me, he's like, Oh, you know, I'm really, I'm really worried because, you know, it's my first deal and everything else. And, and uh, I see all these guys really successful. I said, well, look, I'll be honest with you in the real estate industry. If you see people on Instagram, half, half the people on there, I mean, this is just a generalization, but half the people on there are full of crap. Like they, they don't do business. They, they, they tout more than they don't. Like, you know, they say I'm doing this many deals, this many deals. I mean, it's, it's all a facade because everybody's obsessed with the image. And I went, I went nine years in my career without posting any kind of image. Like I never posted numbers and, uh, you know, I'd post some funny clips and things like that. But now, you know, I'm all about the image because I have to just for the marketing standpoint, but it's not really what I like to do. I don't like to be the bragger because my personal thought was always like, crap, I've lost a lot of friends over a decade because, you know, people get jealous and, you know, they started at the same point I did. You know, I, I was, uh, when I was nine, uh, not, yeah, 19, when I was 19, I lived in a 600 square foot shack. My mom was homeless living with me. I mean, I, I kind of skipped over this poor story of it, but, um, my mom was homeless. Uh, she'd gone through a bad divorce and, uh, she was homeless. She, she had a medical issues, all this stuff. She was living with me. I was grinding with my dad. who wasn't, you know, he didn't have a ton of money at that point. Cause he had just started back off. He had like 20 grand left over from his his complete crash and he was reinvesting it. So I was in a very poor standpoint. You know, I drove a rough truck. I mean, there's nothing pretty about it. And I try and keep that in my mind because you get caught up in this idea of being a success story. And, you know, people put you on a little pedestal like, oh, Alex, you know, I'm, I want to be like you and stuff. And I, I try and remember like, hey, you know, when I started out, I had that. So if they're starting out in the same situation, why can they not over 10 years do the same thing? I think it comes down to applying yourself. You got to apply yourself. If you do something half-assed, your results will be half-assed. 
if you you apply dedication, you know, you're willing to grind it out. Like, I mean, my girlfriend is the the best with support because I can I can sit on the computer, you know, sitting. I mean, I have I have a three thousand square foot office, and I decided to bring my other station home now because I'm working so many hours. So she'll sit on the couch, not complain, nothing. I'm working till midnight, 1 a.m. I mean, she gets on too. That's her workstation. She does all my marketing. So, you know, we'll, we'll crank out hours and that's the support you need. But I didn't start off with that. I had girlfriends that were horribly unsupportive, um, wanted me to hang out more than work. But I think the support and knowing that it's just a journey. Business is a journey. You know, people fixate on the numbers. Like, I don't care about the numbers anymore. I mean, I do in the sense of like business optimization, but like I used to get a check. Like, let's say I, I sold a property or something. I was like, oh, I made five grand. Yes. This is back when I started, but like, yeah, I made five grand. Yeah. It would last like days or 10 grand or 20 grand, whatever I was making. I was like, yeah. But then as time went on, the profit just diminished. Like you were like, not, not in sense of value, but you know, I'd make 25 grand on a deal. And I'm like, all right, put it in the bank, done. And then now it has like almost zero high. I mean, I know it sounds like arrogant or silly or whatever, but there's no high with money. Business is a game. It's like playing chess. Like, of course I want to be profitable and make the most amount of money, but it's, it's not the same thrill. I think, I think it really gets if you fixate your goals on purely monetary things, you'll soon realize you'll hit a rut because like I had a goal, sorry, Celsius yeah. and stuff. Um, I had a goal of being a millionaire at 25 and I hit that. I, I was happy, net worth, million bucks. It was like, sweet, did it. Well, around the same time, I had a goal of building a big house. I was like, oh, I want to build a big house. I built a 5,000 square foot house. Did it, boom. Well, then I was like, wait, hold on a second. How do I have any more goals? And I lost drive for like, this is why the, the lounge got open because I lost drive in business because I set my goals on not so much materialistic things, but just ideas of wealth, you know, being a millionaire, having a big house. And it was limiting, it limited me. You know, each time you set a goal that has like no point to go beyond it. I mean, yeah, you can set a goal for 10 million or 5 million, whatever you want, but it just doesn't fulfill you in the same way. And I think the same thing with profits. So, Hey, cool. I make a 50 grand profit. Now that doesn't fulfill me in the same way. I get more fulfillment by having a well-oiled machine with great systems process, great people working in it. I mean, that's the number one, you know, I get a great feeling when, you know, I give out Christmas, we give out Christmas bonuses. You know, I spent a lot of money in Christmas bonuses. And it really affects people's lives. I mean, like in my call center, I mean, we've got 160 people now, um, uh, agents relying on us. And it's just a nice feeling. You know, like it's, it's like all these families are benefiting from me. Like from my, my impact on society now is, you know, like title companies, they're getting paid. I mean, we, we do, we're some of the largest um, amount of transactions for my title company. You know, that's, that's helping people generate more business, more economy. It's a nice feeling. It really is. I mean, I, I got a lot of people in staff in the U.S. I've got people overseas. You know, you're impacting multi-continents just based off your work ethic. That is way more stronger than, than making 50 grand. Trust me. I mean, I know it sounds ridiculous because people are like, oh, I don't have 50 grand. Well, 
you, you have to realize that opinions are relative to position. So if you're in that position right now, your opinion is going to be different than my position of experiencing this. So it's going to be a different view. But for me, at the point I'm at, money doesn't motivate me in the same kind of way. I get excited to an extent, like, you know, the quarter million dollar deal. That's just fantastic. But I'm not actually excited about the profit as much as how cool that deal sounds. I mean, like, who the heck can turn 45 grand into a quarter million bucks and I'm getting half of that money back up front. So that's nuts. That's exciting. But not for the money, just for the fact that that deal can exist. That the opportunity that people, that's life changing or something. That one deal that we, you know, I do hundreds and hundreds of deals. That one deal is life changing for somebody. And all it takes is somebody to put the effort in. I said this to my dad yesterday. I said, a lot of people are fixating right now on this $600 stimulus. And the fact is, I know people are hungry. I know people are having problems. And I've, I've tried to help out through through Christmas. You know, I did a giveaway, gave five families. Um, actually, we did six in the end. Six families, Christmas gifts for the kids. Like, I paid for it all. It was Amazon. And that's a good feeling. But if, if you're fixated on $600 for two weeks, that's $300 per week. You don't think you've gone out and hustled 300 bucks off of buying and selling something or, you know, I just don't see it. I, I think people are, are so focused on not making their own future. If you want to make a future for yourself, you have to put the effort in. If I went broke, and this was the conversation, if I went broke tomorrow, I had zero dollars in the bank, everything was taken from me. I I would leave the more in the morning, 5 a.m. and I would come back that night with a few thousand dollars in my pocket because I'm willing to hustle. I'm willing to put that effort in. I would go around garage sales, get cheap stuff, free stuff, whatever, flip, trade. I mean, this is how I started out in real estate too, because 2012, uh, 2011, you know, that, that time period, um, properties weren't selling. So it's the opposite effect. The market right now, everybody's like trying to get the best deal because the buyers are available to sell it. But back then you could get amazing deals. I was buying block houses in, in uh, West Pasco for 10 grand. They were like <laughs> nuts. And now they're going for 150. But back then there was no buyers. So I'd pick up this property and I'd be like, okay, I'm gonna clean it up and sell it. Nobody wanted it. Nobody wanted another house. So I was trading houses for cars and I trade, I mean, I had like a, a 70s Z28 uh, drag car with like the, did wheelies down the street, like stupid stuff. I had an H2, I had big lifted mud truck. Like I would trade for assets that I knew I could sell as kind of a two-step process. So I started with the purchase at auction. I'd fix it, trade it for an asset and then sell an asset. I mean, that's being creative. You, and I, if you're looking at that deal and saying, oh, well, I would just found a buyer. Well, if you don't have that buyer, you have to find a new exit strategy. You got to adjust. Business is about pivoting. My business pivoted completely. I used to show up to an auction. I have a list of properties, bid, bid, bid. Alex is buying all the properties. Yeah, I was. So that, that's a mentality right there. Like, oh, okay, everything's easy, easy. Well, guess what? I got slapped in the face because auctions went online and they opened up to everybody. And now all of a sudden live auctions were gone. You know, prices were going through the roof and there was no margin there. So I pivoted. I went to sell a direct, whole different model, spent months building my 
co-call operation, and then eventually becoming now, you know, a client servicer of it. But without that pivot, none of this would have happened. You know, we're servicing tons of investors now. I think we, I think, uh, I mean, this week I added four new clients. I mean, there's lots of investors we're impacting just based off the fact that I decided to pivot that one point in my business and leave something alone. And that's fearful. Like I'd done hundreds of transactions, hundreds upon hundreds, hundreds. I don't even know. Honestly, I don't know my deal count anymore because I've switched LLCs three times. I probably should sit down. I think it's in the seven, 750 range, but I'm not sure. Uh, everybody's like, oh, how many deals you've done? I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> Yesterday, too. <laughs> so, um, but uh, yeah, I pivoted and that created a whole new timeline for my life. Now I, now I have a call center. Now I've merged with another company. I mean, like, it's, it's nuts. I mean, my, I own all of my companies, but the agreement I have with the other company is kind of a, like, service-related. So we kind of team up on clients. But, um, you know, I own all my companies directly, though. I don't have any partners. I had a nail salon. That was a horrible idea. So uh, I tried to help somebody out. And I got stabbed in the back, but we won't talk about that. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, I, I try not to have partners just because I feel like partnerships work great. And I think Lee said this the other day, partnerships work great when you're making money. But the second no money's being made, you see the true partner. So um, I try to avoid partnerships. Very wise words there. All right, I'll take a breath so you can speak next. Sorry, buddy. <laughs> I'm like a thousand miles an hour. I know you're a busy guy, so I don't want to take up your whole day. So what are some things now that you, you want people to know about that you're doing that they can work with you on? You know, I don't know if you want to talk more about MGI, um, about your processes. Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, I mean, so I also have a data company too, but it's kind of, I did an agreement with IDI, um, which is a large skip tracer. I was doing so much volume, they gave me a discounted rate. So that's what we kind of have a referral program almost, but that's my skip tracing company. But as far as MGI phone services, you know, we offer um, pricing that's pretty reasonable. We include all your management in it. So we have somebody ch checking on the, the call throughout the day, somebody managing the team, because a lot of people fail to realize when you go on like Upwork and stuff and hire a single cold caller or, or a VA, there's no management structure there initially. So either you implement that yourself or you're gonna have an off task person throughout the day. And nobody, nobody really has time to sit here and manage individual VAs like that. I mean, they don't. If they do, then they probably should be adjusting their business. But with us, we provide all the management. I mean, there's like four managers on each account that watched it throughout the day, um, sent out KPI reports, things like that. So it's a very, it's a very good addition to somebody's business at a low price. I mean, I charge like $6 an hour flat fee for cold callers. And that includes all the management, all the KPI reports, everything else. Um, and it's a good deal. But uh, as far as the Manigreen investments, um, I'm always buying property. So if you got something within 100 miles of Tampa, feel free to send it over to me. But um, I seem to get a lot of weird deals recently. Like people are like, oh, you want this house for 500,000? I was like, no, I flip trailers. So, <laughs> but uh, yeah, we'll take deals. Um, got the phone services. It's, you know, I'm probably downplaying everything, but it's good. I'm happy. Oh, one touch on things. My process for uh, purchases. So obviously I have the cold callers reach out to people. Um, and then I have a really good process map with my send call, which we use for our dialer. And uh, it kind of goes to the acquisitions, goes through a different loop back to warm up the lead. Um, Lee and I were talking about this with uh, the advisor council's call the other day, but um, good process. 
my acquisitions basically gets the property negotiated. Um, and then when we're at, I don't even touch a deal now until the point that we're literally agreed upon a price. Now people are like, how do how's your acquisition know you'll pay the price? Well, I built a very custom um, deal calculator, which I actually modified with Chris Kelly's calculator because I took his calculator and added some features to mine. But it basically kicks out a number of my max and min, what I'm gonna pay on it. And uh, my acquisition already knows I'm willing to pay it. So he'll send over the contract to me and say, hey, you good with this? Yep, thumbs up. And at that point, I'm actually looking at the deal. So a lot of people get hung up on the entry stuff, right? So I trained, trained a lot of people on how to get started in real estate and, uh, and how to scale the business too. And a lot of people get hung up on doing the day-to-day tasks like cold calling. Well, if your time is not valuable enough to allow for $6 an hour to outsource, then you probably should be adjusting some things. And even on the acquisition side, um, you know, that's a job you don't want to be focused on because if I'm focused on acquisitions, I can't be focused on closings, um, the actual rehabs of projects and things like that. You just can't, you can't run your business working every role. Now I run a lot of roles in my business, um, but I'm definitely not running the roles that can be replicated easily. So, you know, a sales guy is a sales guy. I mean, Logan does a fantastic job, but in the end of the day, you can find a sales guy, you can find a cold caller, you can find these other things. What you can't find is somebody to really supervise your business in the same eyes that you have. And that's what I do. That's my job. My job is to supervise everybody, keep everything flowing, keep money, money growing. I mean, a lot of people, busy work screws people up. Realtors are like, realtors are the worst with this. I mean, I'm not a big fan of realtors. My mom's a realtor, I love her to death, but uh, every other realtor can go away. But um, no, I'm just kidding guys. Don't, don't, uh, you know, ban me on Facebook. Um, <laughs> but uh, no, so realtors, they're busy work people. They cop on the deal and they're like, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do this and do that. But they're not generating money. Like it, unless your client's closing on a deal, you're not making money. So all the other work is pointless unless you're actually focused on making money. So going out to lunch meetings and all these different groups and stuff, that's fine and dandy. But if your goal is not making money and your more goals just kind of on keeping yourself busy, like, oh, I worked 50 hours this week. Well, that's great. But how many hours are actually working on making money versus working on socializing or distracted by Facebook? Um, and I think it's difficult too. So social media for me, is a great platform to market myself. You know, I'm doing different things, different advertisements and whatnot. And I think that you have to make a strong mental block with being on social media for entertainment and being on social media for marketing. So I spend almost no time in my day now browsing people's social media. I don't do it. I don't hop through newsfeed. If I do, maybe five or 10 minutes in the evening. When you're on social media, you should be promoting yourself, building your business. That's what you focus on. Use it as a tool, not as an entertainment. And I think that's probably one of the greatest things you can do for time management, because if you're, if you're hopping on there and you can burn some hours, I used to do it a hundred percent and I almost deleted the app, but I realized that there's a strong networking key there for my business, but I'm not going to spend hours on it. Even my stories, I can pump out probably 10, 10, 20 story clips. It takes minutes of my day. People assume I'm sitting here prepping for it. No, I just have a random idea. Hop on camera. Hey, this is Alex. Here's my stupid story. You know, I mean, honestly, like there's nothing, nothing behind it. Um, 
But yeah, sorry. I feel like I'm dominating this call way too much, Nick. I apologize. Awesome, man. This is exact. I think you're giving great content and this is what we're here for. You're- I can ramble. You know this from our sorry, Zoom calls. <laughs> so um, a couple of closing things here that I want to always kind of kind of dig into. One of them being um, KPIs. I know I've heard you talk about it. We've had some discussions on it on some of our mastermind calls. But what are some of the key KPIs that you track? Because I think that's another thing that for building a business, you know, you which, have, which business? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. It's like, well, then you probably don't have a business. Yeah, exactly. Um, which which KPIs for MGI phone services as far as like cold call stuff or for the because I kind of look at it segmented. Because, you know, there's different KPIs, obviously, for my cold callers versus um, my uh, fix and flip company. I'd say more of the fix and flip company. Okay. So, um, I track, do you want general business or do you want, uh, I got multiple things. So, do you want general business or do you want the KPIs to track for like rehab projects? Let's say somebody in just the general business right now, what are five things that you think that they should be tracking? Um, I would say... Hmm. So I'm, I'm trying to adjust what I've got on my stuff because I don't track the same things others do. I mean, cash in, cash out is 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 super important because when you're a fix and flipper, you can have some serious cash flow issues. I think time of um, time of investment is one thing I really track as far as my fix and flips because you know every day that's out costs you another dollar. So I want to I kind of have a few processes to if I if I find a deal falling behind, you know I might reduce the price at certain time frames and things like that, but um, yeah, I mean, I think overall growth, I mean, you can't really, this is a hard question for me actually, cause I, I have little reports for everything, but I'm trying to think how they apply to the general masses. Um, yeah, I mean, consistency is key. So when, whenever you're in real estate investments, you can have fantastic months. Like we're, we're going to do a half million dollar month in profit this month. It's crazy, stupid, but, um, overall too, there's some contract stuff mixed in, but Half a million bucks. It's fantastic. Then the next month, I might not make a dollar. I might not sell anything, you know? So you have to like adjust for that. Like, okay, what are we doing? What's happening? Um, how much money is coming in? And also, also I think uh, I think predicting cash curves is one thing that I've done really well. So whenever I was investing for the first eight years of my career, I had some private money, but a lot of the money was mine. So I was kicking out and it was, I know people are like, Oh, you can get hard money. So cheap. Well, back in 2012, you couldn't, you couldn't go and go get some magic loan that didn't exist. You had to either raise some cash or have some cash. It was a whole different market. Money was hard back then. Money's easy now, but uh, deals were available then. So it's a different story, but I think monitoring your, uh, however you want to build this out as far as KPI, but monitoring your cash flow is important because if you're going to fix and flip and stuff, you really have to think of all the variables up front. And then I like to keep a float in my account just in case, because I'm a pretty, I'm a pretty heavy investor. I'm, I'm a risk taker. I'm a dice roller. I mean, I've hit even in my multi-million dollar net worth, I've hit zero multiple times this uh, past year because I've invested, invested, invested. And people often, and I had this conversation with my girlfriend because she was never in the business world. People often confuse cash flow and, and, and net worth. So, you can have a you know, hundred million dollar net worth and you can have no money in the bank because all your money's tied up in assets. And when you, or you're in the fix and flip world, you're dumping money out all the time, dumping money. And if you're not careful, um, you can find yourself breaking that threshold. But I like to live dangerously. Like, honestly, I work harder when I got 50 grand in my bank than when I got a half a million in my bank. You know, I just like to deploy, 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 deploy. That's what I like to do. It's fun. 
you know, you gotta, I like the drive. Everybody's different. Some people like, you know, our friend, Chris, Chris Kelly, he's like, Oh, that's a $4 beer. You know, I don't know about that. Whereas I'm dropping thousand dollars on champagne, but everybody has a different idea. Some people like to spend, some people like to save. I'm personally a risk taker. I'm a dice roller. I like to, I think most of my success and my scale in my real estate business, even in the last 20, 24 months, because we've really blown up now. Um, I think it comes from risk taking. I'm willing to roll the dice, I'm willing to lose it all, even now. I don't care, because actually this is a point Lee gave me about two years ago. I said to Lee, I said, aren't you worried about you know, ever losing it all? He said, no, because I don't lose it all. The fact is I have a business that makes a lot of money right now, but, and this isn't quoting exactly, this is two years ago, but he said, but the difference is I have the knowledge now to replicate this business over and over. So even if I lost everything, everything screwed up, I still know how to do it. I can have a business up and rolling in six months because I know the processes. I know how to raise capital. I know how to, you know, buy the properties. People fixate on failure way too much. And I think they'll, they'll forever limit yourself. Your biggest limiter in life is being concerned with failure. I think that's a number one. I think if you're not a, if you're not a risk taker or you're not willing to make any kind of risk, I don't think you'll ever be truly successful, at least as a person, because if you're having that constant hindrance in your head that, if I fail, if I fail, well, that that's doubt. You know, that's not confidence. You want to be confident. I watched Dan Pen, uh, Pena, uh, it's Pena, last night on uh, Jordan Belfort's podcast, and he said like um, people uh, people are afraid these days. People aren't confident. There's not. I don't know why. And he said, sad. Thirty years ago. You know, you were an alpha male. And he said every one of his seminars, I know a lot of people don't like him, but every one of his seminars, he asked the same question. Can you raise your hand? And this is a bunch of college students that are killing it in, in school, whatever. Um, he says, raise your hand if you're an alpha male. And he says, not one person will ever raise their hand. But whereas if I was in the room, my hand would be right up. That's it. But that's the difference. You can be the most smartest person in the world. But if you don't control the situation, you don't have the confidence to move forward and you don't have that risk aversion, I don't think you'll make it. And you, maybe not to this, maybe you'll make it, but not to the scale that I would want for myself if I had that same level of education and things like that. So, Wise words once again, man. I think that you're, you're hitting all the key points. I love it. I think it's, it's important for people to hear this stuff because it's yeah. their, the situation and it's, it's the principles of success. You know, they want to hear the ins and outs of like how you put the deal together and the rehab numbers, but that stuff almost doesn't matter unless you lock in the points that you're talking about right now, you're never going to get to that point. So I, I think it's extremely important that you share that stuff. Yeah, no, I, like I said, I'm probably, I'm used to being a speaker on stage as far as like me up here talking. I'm not used to the interview. I've been doing more interviews recently, but I'm so used to having to captivate the whole attention of the audience and forgetting to be balanced. So it's something I'm working on though, because I've done a few here and there, but Zoom interviews are difficult because you kind of want to like, just give all the value right up front and then you fail to coordinate with this, with the host correctly, so. No, man, I love it again. The, the, the idea of the podcast is that this is, you're the star of this show. So the more I can sit back and drink my Zions and just listen to you drop knowledge, man, you're making my morning easier, so. Well, I mean, I want to give a lot of input. You've done a, you've done a fantastic uh, help with me recently with some referrals. Um, and, uh, I, you know, <laughs> I want to put a lot of input for you. I mean, you have a great channel, so um, I want to, want to give as much as I can. That's the goal. I like to give. I really do. A lot of people like to say it, like I like to give back. I genuinely like it because I get more of a thrill from that 
from other people saying to me like, oh, that helped or that was nice. Or like on Christmas, I got, you know, six messages from people saying I, I made their whole Christmas and they sent me pictures of their kids. Like, that's a fantastic feeling. That's you awesome. can't beat that. That is the best feeling. Knowing you impacted somebody else's life and not saying I'm going to impact yours with my, my ranting, but um, that's a good feeling. I think people should focus on that more. And I think the world will be a better place. So thousand percent agree, man. And I thought you brought a lot of value here. I definitely appreciate it. I definitely want to talk more about um, me using your cold calling services offline when you get some time too. Um, but yeah, so some closing stuff here, man. So how do people find you? They want to talk to you about uh, doing business, selling you some properties, using your cold calling. What's the best way to connect? Yeah. So uh, we buy mobile homes and land.com is my uh, landing page. If you want to just pitch me a deal as far as, um, I don't know, random people, if you have one, but you can always message me on Facebook, Alex Ottawell. Um, Alex.Ottawell is my um, Instagram. And uh, I have two pages right now because we're phasing out. I kind of kept one personal and then one for business because I was I was having a bit of conflict between the two. So, um, but yeah, reach out, you know, message me. I'm on Nick's uh, mutual friends. So uh, unless he deletes me after this podcast, you know, you never know. I just post your uh, your all your content and stuff in the show notes so people can just talk in there too for sure. So let's yeah, no. If people don't know me, I'm a big. Uh, am I allowed to curse? I've been cursing on here, right? Yeah, big shit talker, big shit talker. Like in our our WhatsApp group, I cause a lot of controversial. Yeah, you and Big Dan Garen, we're gonna have a little uh, fisticuffs there for a minute. I know, I know. He took me way too seriously. So we're in this advisor council, and it's a, a group of I think thirty now um advanced investors and we all network back and forth and i'm kind of like if you don't know me i i I poke at people hard even like my best friends like i poke at them hard and uh i think one of the guys didn't realize so he he had a bit of a confrontation with me he was like "Ah." he gets protective of his friend there so i I like i wouldn't i wouldn't fight dan garen i mean i tell you what that guy's uh tough tough looking dude I don't, know if I don't know if I do that. He is tremendous. He's so big. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he, uh, he's a great guy, though. We don't have any issue yeah, now. It's a great group, man. Everybody's real cool. And, uh, you know, yeah, I'm a lot of fun. Florida Chris's event. But for anybody listening, Chris Kelly's Fast Track Me event was freaking outstanding, man. He's got another one coming up. Uh, the yeah, I'm going, to, I'm going to the one in two weeks. I missed the other one because I was just slammed. You know, it, it, and here's sacrifice. That's a strong word that I did not use throughout this. I sacrifice all the time for my, for my work, for my productivity. You got to do it. Like I love going out and having fun, but if I got to crank out a Saturday, I got to do it. You know, it is what it is. So, so in, in, in final here, if you had a yeah. time machine and a younger Alex Ottawell came up and asked you for advice on life and business right now, what advice would you give a younger you knowing what you know right now? Buy Bitcoin. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> well, not right now. You wouldn't. It's about 30, 40,000. No, no, 2000, 2009 or whatever, whenever it came out. I lost money in Bitcoin, so I got out of it. I'm never touching it again. I know people tout it really hard, but after you lose money once, I was just like, eh, I don't want to do it again. But um, I would say, I would say the systems and processes is, is super I know it sounds stupid because everybody says it like, oh, systems process. It's true. If Here's the best way to do it. And this is what I explained to somebody the other day. Write down all the tasks you do. Okay. And this that was taken from Lee. Write down all the tasks you do and cross out every one that, that doesn't uh, make you money. But every one that you crossed out, 
create a Word document of step-by-step -step of how you do something. Like if you want to, in order to, to scale, you have to hire, right? You got to bring on more people. And in order to train those people, you have to create a system and a process for them. Because if you just hire somebody on and you think that they're just going to magically know everything, you're silly. So you have two options. You can either create a document of exactly what that part of the job, don't go overview. A lot of people send too many overviews. They're like, oh, do a bit of this, do a bit of that. Well, if you don't explain to the person how they're doing that specific task, you're going to lose money because you're wasting time when they're trying to educate themselves instead of you spending five minutes to put together a simple document or even a video. Life's easy now. You can make a video, put a Dropbox together, talk about that task, and then that person has it forever. Or the next person, you rehire. Like I trained a bunch of assistants before I realized like, hold on a second, they're doing the same thing. I just need to make a task list, put out videos or put out words you know, on the document what they're doing because it's easy you can replicate anything you can replicate you can put a training behind it and by doing that you're saving so many hours i mean it's insane like if you spend 10 minutes a day doing the same task what does that translate to for a whole year those are hours that you could have saved but by putting it into process putting a system behind it I like my whole business is process flows. Like I have charts with like lines going all over the freaking place. It's crazy, but that's what I had to do. I had to spend the hours to create that core process. And then now it can be replicated. It can be referred to. Um, it's a real big building step. And I think I would have been, you know, maybe I would have hit 5 million by, by 25 instead of 1 million, you know? Um, I think we all have limiting beliefs though. And I think I had a lot of limiting beliefs up until about two years ago, three years ago. I really beat myself up a lot. And I think that's a motivator too, because you know, like tough love with dad, tough love personally. But I think the last two years, maybe a year and a half, I've really dived into to not limiting myself by my views and having a circle like advisor council is really huge because it, it sucks. If your network, you're the top of the totem pole, which I was like, as far as like friends I had and things like that, because um, I only really started networking in real estate like two, three years ago. So if you're at the top of the totem pole, you need to expand that, that group because there's no motivation there if you're not seeing peers and others around you growing. You know, they say like your, your network is your net worth. And that is freaking true because I am so inspired every day to hustle harder when I see guys like quadrupling what I'm doing. I'm like, wow, that's amazing. Like how the heck did they do that? And then I'm like, it's a game. I want to do more. But if you're hanging out with all the, the boys drinking beers in the garage, well, that's fantastic. And not to stereotype towards, you know, that type of thing. But if you're sitting around and you're just hanging out with people that want to play video games. Like I haven't touched a video game in a decade. I have a brand new Xbox over there that I bought two years ago, Xbox One. I've never taken it out of the box. I was just like, oh, let's, I literally sitting in a brand new in a box, Xbox One or whatever it was. I bought it and I'm like, I got it home and I'm like, what am I doing with this? Like, I'm going to sit here and have like, what, instant satisfaction? Oh, wow, I got this chart and award. And sure, some people monetize it, but cool, you got an achievement. Well, you're still sitting on your mother's couch. Where's the achievement? Where are you proud? Like, there's no, there's no pride there. You're, you're getting instant gratification because you're too worried about failing in life and you rather have something that you can quickly succeed in. Like, where's the goal there? I mean, I'm not bashing people to play video games because some of the smartest 
most successful guys I know play video games, but, but people that like make certain things their life where their goal isn't to better themselves, it's to better a thing like a game. Like you, you got to change that mindset. Mindset's key. And I used to bash it so hard. I used to be like, I go to these events and I'm like, oh, mindset, mindset. It's so true. Like I used to be like, why are these guys spending half the time talking about mindset? It's just, it is what it is. It's, it's mindset. You have to switch it. You have to get out of like, I, did I think when I started in real estate that I'd be driving a Lambo and having millions of dollars and all this stuff? No, no, I didn't. But over time I adjusted and I said, Hey, look, you can do that. You can do that. You can do that. And I set my goals higher and that's how you grow. You, you got to switch the mindset. Stop thinking like, poor me, poor me. Oh, I didn't get my $600 check. Like I'm, I'm I know people are suffering, so I don't want to be like a complete person about that but if you're fixated on that is that six hundred dollars going to change your life no it's not it's just dampering something and half the people are going to spend it on a stupid game system or something like you're not bettering your life there's no i mean i'm not a super religious guy but like there's a quote you know or a story about um you know feed a what is it uh, teach a man how to fish feed him for life and give him a fish feed him for a day the same thing applies to money even 600 bucks, you're going to blow it. I teach you real estate. You're going to make money with it. Like people, they drive me nuts these days. I try and I, I actually, this is a good thing I've done in the last six months. I have decided that anybody that approaches me with negative things, like ne truly negative, I just disregard it now. I say, okay, that's your opinion. That's fine. But I'm not diving into it. I don't want to bring it up. I don't want to talk about it. My, my thoughts all day long are positive. You know, I mean, I have difficult situations where I get, you know, upset, but they're positive. I want to think positively. I want to think about growth, future. I want to be around people that stimulate me. You know, I have a lot of friends. I have a huge friend base, hundreds of people that I, I used to hang out with like every single day. Like, honestly, I, I would be, I was the most social guy, you know. I mean, I'd have parties with like hundreds of people and people would show up and everyone's like, yeah. But I realized like, some of those people, as much as I love them, they're not helping me grow as a person. So I don't, I may still see them and hang out with them and stuff like that, but I don't fixate on it anymore. I don't because I, I want my social circle to be productive and growth oriented towards my life. And not, it sounds selfish, but it's the truth. If one person can bring you down mentally, probably not good to be around them very often. So. I love it, man. I think you nailed it. You have been amazing. This has been a great episode. I loved all the, all the probably went way over. Been, no, yeah, we, there's no time limit, man. We play by our own rules. We're not on a time here, but uh, I know you are a busy guy. I know you're trying to get things going there. So any final thoughts before I let you go for today? No, I mean, it's been a fantastic, I mean, it's been me talking most of it, but I really enjoyed it, Nick. I mean, honestly, sometimes, uh, sometimes these key points, I don't even think about that I'm doing, you know, you can oftentimes, um, it's like sales, right? So you can talk about, you can read a book about a sales dialogue of what to say or how to persuade people, things like that. And you can realize that there's a lot of things in those, those you're actually doing on a daily basis that you don't realize. And I think by doing these kind of podcasts, I kind of realize my, my thought pattern now, you know, cause you verbalize it instead of just internalizing. So I, I really do appreciate it. I mean, I, I really enjoyed it and, uh, it's been a lot of fun. I appreciate having you on, man. I thought you did great. I thought every single word you gave was relevant content. And uh, I think you did awesome, man. And I look forward to talking sure. to you. Uh, you brought a, a whole new life to the Advisors Council Group. So it's been awesome being a part of that with you. And I look forward to uh, 
watching you grow and continuing to put this out so other people could do the same. Appreciate it. Definitely, man. You bring your A-game, sir. Thank you for being part of the show today. I hope you have a great day, man. Have a good day, brother. So what's